I'm Brandon Katz. And I'm Jean Bentley. And this is Must Watch Netflix Edition, a conversation between two pop culture junkies to help you navigate the endless library of Netflix. Today, we're discussing Netflix's developing comedy library and talking to Jason Smith, CEO of Starburns Audio, about all the stand-up that's on Netflix, including Kevin Hart's new special, No Fucks Given. Gene, you and I like to laugh. Would, would that be an accurate statement? I think that is an absolutely accurate statement. But also, who doesn't? You don't like to laugh? I am a little concerned for you, you know? There are some worry warts out there that are just grumpy gooses, serious sallies, whatever other little alliteration tricks I can throw on that. You know, they're just like, nope, I don't like it. I don't like having a good time. So those people I do question. But when it comes to laughing, I think undoubtedly Netflix has taken the throne of stand-up comedy. And we've talked about that on this pod. That is one of their bread and butter development lanes, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it, at one point it used to be HBO where all the comedians would go and it used to be Comedy Central. They're doing a whole rebranding thing. That's not, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but basically Netflix has a big old checkbook and they opened it right up to the comedy world and the comedy world said, yes, I will accept this money. <laughs> I mean, you know, Chris Rock arguably became who Chris Rock is based on his HBO specials in the 90s and early 2000s. Netflix comes along, offers him 20 million a show, offers Chappelle 20 million a show. I think Amy Schumer got about 15 million. So they are putting out fat checks and I can't blame anyone for accepting. Yes, correct. I mean, yes, I, I will. Again, I feel like I've said this before. I will accept your money, Netflix. Yeah, I yeah. don't because that's not how criticism works. But if they want it, to write me a check, you know. I, if you want to bring must-watch Netflix edition in-house and team with Starburns Audio, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but where Netflix has arguably fallen off a bit, I would say, is their scripted comedy originals. I think there's a lot to be desired in that lane, despite the fact that they're spending 15 billion plus on content every year. I think this year is kind of a microcosm for the struggles they've had there. You know, they're canceling well-liked comedies like Teenage Bounty Hunters, like Glow. They've really failed to find a perfect fit when it comes to the weekly talk show format. You know, Michelle Wolf's show, Norm MacDonald's, Joel McHale's, Hasan Minaj, all shows that are varying levels of very funny and clever that just haven't found an audience that have been canceled pretty quickly. I'm just, for a a streamer, the all-important biggest net uh, TV provider in the world. I'm so baffled at their inability to get some traction going recently in the comedy lane. Yeah, it's really interesting too, because clearly the Netflix wants comedy. They're investing in comedy. They have this whole brand. Netflix is a joke that they've, that they've done. They have clearly have a vision in, in the standup space and in, in that sense. But when it comes to scripted, it is really wild that they just haven't really figured it out. And I also feel like maybe that's because they haven't even really figured out what they want it to be because, you know, Teenage Bounty Hunters, Glow, those are very different shows and they're not necessarily like half hour sitcoms or, you know, they're definitely the dramedy, more of the dramedy route, which is a, a lane that Netflix is very good at. But 
it seems to me that a company with as much as many resources as Netflix would maybe have tried to narrow down an angle at one point and and it doesn't seem like that they've quite done that yet. I'm trying to think of the last Netflix original comedy that I was really gung-ho about and I'm honestly drawing a blank. Yeah, I mean, I think if I, if I think about comedies on Netflix and I'm talking scripted comedies, not stand up, not talk show, not yeah. reality, not any of that, the the ones that come to mind are the animated ones. The ones that come to mind are BoJack Horseman and Big Mouth, Tuka and Birdie, may she rest in peace. And <laughs> like I which is which is another great lane to be in, but you know, the the whole world of live action scripted comedy has really only been on display in their films. Yeah, I mean in comedy films, we can debate the quality of the Adam Sandler Netflix multiverse as much as we want. I'm not a huge fan, but obviously they perform really well. Small screen scripted animation has really been a great lane for them. And that's great because it's inexpensive to make. They can work through the pandemic, no problem. But it is, and as we've seen with their library and others, it is scripted live action comedies that aren't super niche that are really the best travelers in terms of global appeal. There is a reason that their licensed library, such as Schitt's Creek, which they turned into a hit, such as The Office, and previously before this year, Friends, was so unbelievably massively successful. And they have yet to really kind of get their own type of broad appeal breakout sitcom off the ground. Yeah, and it's really interesting to bring up those shows in particular. Obviously, The Office and Friends were huge, gigantic mega hits. And, you know, with the ability of Netflix, um, you know, they they were introduced to younger viewers. I hear Gen Z loves The Office. This is this is what they tell me. Um, this is what they, but I, being an old millennial. With the teenagers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have some on TikTok feeding me all the must-know info. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but one thing that's really interesting to note is Schitt's Creek aired on Pop TV in the yeah. U.S., which is not a channel that a ton of people got. And I think that the Pop TV folks did a wonderful job of marketing it in its own way, but they simply did not have the same reach as Netflix. And so I think that it was when Schitt's Creek went on Netflix that is when people really began to discover it. And I think that Netflix really helped turn Schitt's Creek into what it became, obviously only because of, you know, what, what pop TV did, but still Netflix was probably the way that most people were introduced to Schitt's Creek. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, it's the same theory that applies to Breaking Bad, which was a critically acclaimed but relatively underwatched linear regular TV show that grew this massive second life thanks to Netflix and built up viewership on AMC as it went. And the same thing absolutely with Schitt's Creek. Now, while that absolutely benefits Netflix because people are discovering this great content and coming to them to, to binge watch, they don't own any of those shows. So they'll have to renegotiate those license deals at some point down the line, and after you know this Emmy domination and explosion of Shit's Creek, that price is going to go way up. 
that is why you've seen in the last few years, and especially this year, Netflix has really focused less on co-productions and more on in-house development content that they own. You know, they don't, most of their top performers, they don't even own. Stranger Things is one of the few shows that they're actually completely in-house. You know, Umbrella Academy, a couple others. It's not outright theirs. It's not licensed comment, content, still Netflix original, but they're on a precarious ledge at the moment in which they're trying to create their own hits and they're failing more often than they succeed in comedy. Yeah, however, there is some some executive news that has been happening that maybe is really not interesting for us regular people. However, it is interesting to think about it when it comes to the kinds of shows we will be getting in the future. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason, like you said, they're aware of this problem. And so just this week, NBC co-president of scripted programming, Tracy Pacosta, left NBC to head up comedy at Netflix. Now, this is a woman who has a very long and successful track record of developing very attractive comedies. And as we've seen on Netflix, NBC comedies like The Office or Friends or The Good Place have incredible second lives. And so it's going to be up to Tracy to spearhead Netflix's evolution in this realm. Because as we've said, they rely too much on licensed material at the moment. I'm going to throw some stats out there. Uh, <laughs> according to 2019 Nielsen data provided to the Wall Street Journal, 72% of Netflix's watched minutes was devoted to library programming or reruns of licensed content. Uh, and specifically, The Office drew 45.8 billion minutes watched over a 12-month span from 2018 to 2019. That's a show that'll be leaving to go to Peacock in 2021. And Friends, which left to go to HBO Max, earned 31.8 billion minutes watched. So you're talking about massive, significant chunks, chunks of Netflix's viewership essentially evaporating. Yeah, absolutely. But Tracy's hire is really exciting in that she will now have a chance to shape what original Netflix comedies will look like going forward. And I think that is especially interesting because the thing with comedy is that it's so subjective. People's senses of humor are so different, weird or broad or all of these things. And I think that is going to be really interesting to view through Netflix's filter of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what <laughs> sticks, right? So I think that the, the thing that Netflix needs right now is a clear strategy going forward. However, I do think it will be important for them to try to appeal to a wide variety of comedy fans. So people who love broad sitcoms, people who love kind of weird alt comedy, like maybe the kinds of people who love the million comedians who wrote on the Sarah Cooper special, um, you know, kind of like the internet popular um, comedians like that. And, there's an opportunity to give a lot of different types of people a Netflix platform. I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of intersects what's going on with Netflix at large right now. They, for their entirety of their ex existence as an original program distributor, 
have been a buffet table, one-stop shop. We got every, something for everyone. We are the Walmart of TV. Now we're seeing they're cutting back on underperforming shows, canceling shows, reducing their content spend, and getting a little bit more specific on you know franchise IP, recognizable titles, and they want to be more broad appeal so they can start turning a profit rather than losing money every year. So I'm so curious, based on everything you just said, of how they move forward with Tracy in her position on defining and creating this comedy empire. You know, is it going to be broad appeal, middle of the lane sitcoms like a Parks and Rec, you know, like, like a Friends, like in an office? Or will they be doing something more niche and specific being like, well, we see in Latin America, they love this type of humor. And we see in Eastern Europe, they've been loving X, Y, and Z. I'm wondering how they break it down. Yeah, I mean, the, the possibilities are really endless. I mean, in my, in my ideal world, right, I think that Netflix would be a really good place for young creators to do stuff that's weird to just like try (laughs) some stuff right but then also would be a good place for established creators um like greg daniels for example and space force maybe the first season of space force was a little meh but he is an established creator he created the office which is the show that you know 45.8 billion minutes were watched right (laughs) so I think that you know kind of striking a balance between these up-and-coming creators and then getting some heavy hitters in to do the kind of network comedy that we are used to would be a really great balance and kind of see how that goes right so you'll have the brand name creator but with a new project that we don't know or you'll have this organic young talent that people can feel like they discover i agree it seems to me if i had to guess that they'll still have their grace and frankie type of sitcom plays that are you know travel well across cultures and are relatively standard and traditional in terms of how comedy sitcoms are presented. And then even though Sarah Cooper's special maybe didn't trend or or break out as you and I had hoped because we greatly enjoyed it overall, I absolutely think if Netflix is willing to spend a little bit of money and, and take some failures along the line, there's absolutely room for them to funnel the internet meme dominating comedic voices of today onto their platform. Keep taking from uh, the TikToks of the world and these these Instagram stars that have these very unique niche but hysterical content that they're putting out. I'm hoping they're they're willing to experiment in that lane because I think a balance of established and, and fresh voices, like you said, that they can feel that people are discovering to start is great. And that's also how you find the next Greg Daniels or the next Michael Schur is by giving a youngster a shot. Yeah, exactly. And then you see like how Netflix does support their talent across different platforms. Um, Specifically want to point to Nicole Byer who hosts Nailed It, obviously a very funny show, now has has a really great following because of that. I mean, in addition to the following that she had before this just as a comedian, but she has this fan base and then she was included in one of the stand-up shows 
that they that Netflix released last year. Um, I believe it was Comedians of the World, right? So if I'm Netflix and I'm trying to invest in a comedy brand, I'm like, okay, Nicole Byer, like you got a new sitcom pitch? Let's let's talk. That that's the kind of thing that I would do. And that's really important to note. And you're clearly very business savvy because there is a kind of changing of the paradigm going on relatively recently. Not only is Netflix a showcase for comedic talent, but it's also a developer of comedic talent. And I think joining Nicole is a great example. Ali Wong, who is 100% an in-house homegrown star, two massively successful, critically acclaimed stand-up specials. Uh, she, she voiced a role on Tuca and Birdie, RIP. Got to stick with you on that one, yeah. Gene. And she had Always Be My Maybe, which was kind of the breakout summer comedy of 2019. So what you're seeing is someone, and she's also, excuse me, she's also, I think, signing a new deal with Netflix soon for, for further content development and stand-up shows. So what they're doing is helping young, unknown comedians build up their profile and brand, reach potentially hundreds of millions of eyeballs and then locking them into longer term contracts. It's kind of like their own minor leagues to professional leagues, farm development system. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like Netflix has proven that that works. So, you know, let's do that. Let's hire some flashy big name people (laughs) from this, from the standard TV world and, and see what happens. I think there's the, the main point here is that there are so many options and they just kind of need to pick one. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot before we move on, Gene. Now that we're talking a little bit about what we want to see and some of the names we like, what is an ideal comedy package in terms of creative talent, on-screen talent, whatever, that you would love to see Netflix throw up there or put some money into? Oh my goodness. I mean, listen, if Netflix wanted to write John Early a check to do more weird stuff, <laughs> I'm, I will watch every single thing. Yes, I will do that. What about you? What is your kind of ideal? Well, now that I've just mentioned it, I want to see Michael Schur develop something with Ali Wong because I think that would be a hilarious combo. If they want to bring Randall Park back, I'm all for that, since I know they're childhood friends and writers as well. So I, I just think, personally, Michael Schur is like my, my broadcast sitcom comedy god, and I think Ali Wong is one of the more underappreciated comedic voices in, in comedy today. So them teaming up on anything, I mean, that would be an immediate, don't bother me, I'm binging for the next five days. Yeah, that's a really good point. Another broadcast comedy guy who started getting into streaming that I think could do something really great is Bill Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, his shows are really on Hulu, sorry. But, um, you know. And Lasso. Yeah, but like, yes, he, Spin City, Scrubs, Cougar Town, and now he's on Apple TV with Ted Lasso. I think Netflix should uh, maybe see if, Bill's got some more ideas up his sleeve because he's proven that he knows how to make a really yeah. fun, beloved comedy. <laughs> Bill Lawrence and, and Michael Schur may be the two best kind of sitcom guys in the game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I love them both. All right, Netflix, hire us. We got this for you. We'll help <laughs> Tracy. We'll be Tracy's foot, sh- foot soldiers. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah, next exactly. up, we discuss all things stand-up with Starburns Audio CEO and comedy expert Jason Smith. 
I am here with Jason Smith, who is the CEO of Starburns Audio and host of the Stuck at Home podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Jason. Thanks for inviting me. This is exciting, getting to talk about comedy like I'm an expert. I love it. I mean, you are. Uh, That's kind of scary. But yes, I am. That's true. (laughs) It's just funny to think. It's funny to think of myself that way sometimes. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange world. Yeah. Listen, take credit. Be proud of yourself. I am. I am. I just can't believe I'm here. I'm pitching myself like, like I'm in a chocolate factory. Yeah. (laughs) Well, first let's talk about Kevin Hart's newest special that is out on Netflix now. It's called Kevin Hart. No fucks given. No fucks given. That's right. So (laughs) Kevin Hart, um, Kevin Hart has been prolific on releasing specials over the last four or five years, right? He did a movie. Um, He actually had a a special on Netflix just a year ago that was an arena special. Um, So this is a big departure from that. Like, I I watched the arena special again just to kind of get reacquainted with uh, Kevin Hart's comedy and also just to, you know, see where he was a year ago, a year and a half ago, prior to a lot of the things that had happened in his life. Um, And it's, it's a huge show. Like, he's in the center square, crowds are everywhere blah 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 he's moving around it's a lot of like acting it's a lot of big movement and um you know kind of that over the top kind of comedy you have to probably have in a stadium because you're just a speck at the center of a of a football field right uh is is not that it's very intimate um supposedly this is at kevin hart's house which means he has a fabulously large front room um that can support (laughs) quite a few people um with its own little stage on it it's beautiful i was Um, gonna ask you if you think that kevin hart fully has like a built-out comedy club in his basement like (laughs) i would i mean you know uh you know there's some people that have their stripper poles some people just need like a little open mic with a little brick wall in the back um there are you know (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. There are actually people uh, uh, out there right now that have recreated like portions of their home to turn into comedy clubs. I've, I've heard of that, that happening. Uh, but yes, um, so it is a, it's, it's a little set. He's got people there. It seems like, uh, you know, just a, a much more intimate crowd. Uh, it's kind of like, a, it looks kind of like if you were to go to uh, one of those uh, fancy indie movie theaters and like they're just couches for people to sit on to watch the movie theater <laughs> like that. It's, it's nice and small, nice and intimate. Um, and he has a conversation in front of a fireplace and it is interesting, um, to see him in a little more of a low key setting like that. Yeah. And, and he talks about all sorts of different topics. He starts with COVID, which he had, but I guess it didn't get announced because he had it at the same time as Tom Hanks and, you know, can't compete with that. (laughs) Never can compete with Tom Hanks as far as that stuff goes. And, um, you know, and also I think that there's, uh, you know, I think with with all that stuff too, like Kevin Hart has had so many other little things going around. I think that probably he, I, I, it didn't feel like he ever really brought it up with anybody. It was a, kind of an after effect situation. Yeah, which is really interesting because I feel like the narratives that we've heard, um, you know, in the media or just from people have been when they're in the thick of it or or when it's at the scariest. And it's definitely interesting to hear from someone who is, removed but also many months removed from it that that was definitely an interesting perspective yeah he he i thought he was really funny i thought i i thought that part was pretty good i i think once it started branching into the next section is where i started feeling a little bit like okay here's the actual theme of this whole thing right and it it started there but it's 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 an interesting kind of crossroads for kevin 
part, you know, from my perspective, because he's trying to evaluate this change of his life into being 40, into, you know, and he's trying to, to very much project out this, this feeling like this old him that used to be there, the, the party guy, the guy who cheated, the guy who gets in car wrecks, you know, um, this guy is a pre-30 Kevin Hart. <laughs> Right. You know, and he kind of, he couches a lot of that. He doesn't really bring all of it up. He does bring a little bit of that stuff up, but he kind of couches it in this, this, this running joke about, Hey, just so you know, gentlemen, after 40, your husband doesn't give a fuck, right? He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't need all the things that he used to need. He doesn't need to go out to the strip clubs. He doesn't care about the ladies. He doesn't care what you're wearing. He doesn't care what dinner is. He just wants to be left alone. Right. And that's kind of that thing. But I think that really aligns with this concept of, you know, he had, he, he put out a special, just the last special was about him dealing with the, the, the sex tape. Um, you know, he still hasn't really brought up what actually happened that night with the car, but it's a big thing. And, and, and I think that this is kind of um, on one side to kind of say, hey, listen, please leave me alone. I'm much better now. And two, to kind of speak to this, hey, guys, you're I'm tired of being picked on, you know, it's like, there's, there's definitely like a, I got canceled for eating a Big Mac in a, in a thing, you know, and, and it was all funny. I thought that that story of like getting caught eating a Big Mac after going on social saying you're a plant-based person and then having to fend off everybody is an interesting thing. Like you're not allowed to make a mistake out there in the world is true, but then it, it, it kind of crosses that line into that, that side of things, which is a little more like PR based. Right. Well, I have a question for you. I am not as familiar with Kevin Hart's stand-up. Mm-hmm. I will watch any movie with Kevin Hart, preferably The Rock, preferably while I'm on an airplane. Oh, yeah. Absolutely sign me up. <laughs> I've watched Central Intelligence like four times and I don't know why. It's just really funny to me. It's delightful. It's very funny. <laughs> so how does this compare to his past stand-ups? Like, obviously this is, there's the, the PRE segment, but mm. does he get as honest maybe or more honest, or, or how do you feel about that? That's, that's a good question. I think he used to be really honest, like in his first couple specials. If you go back to when he, his first couple specials, there's a real raw honesty there. That evolves into, like I said, it's an arena. He, he's always been a storyteller kind of comedian. He, it's all about his kids. It's about his family. He gets into stuff, you know, and he brings up some pretty funny things. I think this one was that, you know, there, there's a line there that I think where you get to a point where you can be funny, um, but also um, the honesty evolves into somebody who's, who's, who used to be, you know, and I think this is actually something that he brought up there. It used to be that you looked at famous people as, uh, he, he, from his perspective right now, he's like, used to be, I used to think all the, all the people, all the fans were the weirdos. Now you guys think we're the weirdos. Which is interesting because the truth is we've always thought celebrities and stuff were the weirdos. We just didn't know much about their lives, right? Now we know a lot about them and now we really think they're weirdos. So it's, you know, that's just the perspective of somebody who's been famous long enough to forget what it's like to look up to celebrities and look at them. And that's the perspective he brings down, which might be honest, but it's not necessarily as relatable. Um, And that's actually some of the reviews that it's getting. There's a lot of people who aren't feeling this one the same way that they felt a lot of the other stuff because it feels either unfunny or unrelatable to them. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of kind of the reaction to Ellen DeGeneres' last stand-up special. It was like, wow, she is just kind of out of touch with her with her audience despite talking to all of America every day on her talk show. 
it was a very weird vibe it <laughs> essentially is, right? you know when you're talking about well my kids don't understand what it's not like to not be on a private plane you're like i can't relate to this it's a funny story and i still really yes. like it but there is a point where you're like i got it you're rich 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 you know and it's it's a weird thing to say because i don't want to you know there's there's components of comedy that are so difficult to judge you know kevin hart is a is a tremendously successful comedian and can write really great jokes and is a very funny person um it's just, I think the way this one's wrapped is going to be very polarizing. I think there are some people that will really like it, but I think in general, I think most people in this specific special are not going to be as, as happy with this one as they are with some of his previous work. Yeah, totally. I, I also feel like that is, you know, because he talks about COVID and everything, that is something that has become more and more apparent um, to people as, you know, we were staying at home and it was getting really hard and lockdown orders and everything. And all these celebrities were like, guys, I know it's really hard, but let's just stay here in our, you know, 10 room houses with our giant <laughs> yards and our, our household help who lives with us and we'll get through it. It'll be fine. And you're like, cool. I live in a three room apartment yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I, I, that's 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 a big part of it. You, you're having pizza parties that are socially, you know, socially distanced because you can sit two chairs two two hundred feet apart in your your football field of a backyard. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. So I want to ask you now: How do you think that this Kevin Hart special kind of fits into Netflix's overall strategy as far as comedy goes? I know that they have been trying to brand themselves as a comedy destination. A couple of mm -hmm. years ago, they were buying up as many stand-up specials as they could. They've rebranded. They have the whole Netflix is a joke brand. And, and mm -hmm. maybe they were kind of pulling away from just stand-up specials and trying to branch out and do more. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a very funny thing. Um, I was uh, trying to figure out just how many specials they had. Very unscientific. I went to the category stand-up specials on my TV and multiplied the rows by the columns. And, it, and there's 320 things that they assign to the category of stand-up. And wow. some of those have multiple shows inside them. Some of them don't. Um, so you can assume, at, and some of them may have not been stand-up at all, but you, so you can assume there's about 320 hours minimum of stand-up available on Netflix. And so if you look at that, that's uh, if you had a full-time job watching stand-up, that'd take you about a month to get through right or more right yeah. it's a yeah. lot a lot of it's a lot yeah i guess it would take you two months to get through all the comedy on uh, on netflix so they definitely are a destination for stand-up and they have a lot of stuff um i called uh i called our producer um after i watched it and was like how do they order these things is it by is it by what's the most popular to what's the least popular and he's like no they are ordered by what they think you will like so it turns out that if you're me and you want to watch Netflix, it pretty much, it pretty much looks like a set at the, the comedy store. A bunch of, a bunch of older male comics uh, in a row with like one woman comic thrown in the middle of it. Because that's what <laughs> I've watched on the, on the thing. I've watched a lot of the Dave Chappelle stuff. I've watched a lot of the, um, the different pieces. But then as you scroll through, they, they do have some, some of the best LGBTQ comedy out there. Um, Hannah Gatsby has two specials out there that are, I recommend both of them very much. She did Nanette a couple years ago, which won a bunch of awards. And some people are like, oh, it's not stand-up. Stand-up is a one-person one show. Uh, one-person show is stand-up, right? It's, it's, it's a big monologue, and it's, a, it's, it's great. They have some very strong female um, 
comedians on there. There's, there's, there's some weird stuff on there. Brad Paisley's do does a, has a special on there. That's actually really good. Some of the comedians on there are really good. Um, um, some of my, some of my friends that I really like did, did some of that stuff. Uh, uh, some great little comedians, but they have a little bit for everybody, but they also have a lot of it for, um, that kind of lines up in that, 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 that comedy store vibe, which I, when I, when I talk about that, that's Tom Segura kind of stuff, you know, that's, uh, that's, 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 those are the pieces where you, you, you start talking about when, when you have Bill Burr, right? Bill Burr is a very funny comedian. He was on Saturday Night Live, but he also sensed a lot of things. And so there's a lot of that, that cancel culture pieces in there. So there's, there's pieces with that, but then you run into like these Chappelle, some of these Chappelle uh, pieces that are probably some of the most prolific. And then you can separate the stand-up from the stand-up adjacent, right? You have these great Dave Letterman pieces with, with, with comedians. You have, uh, st- uh, you have Seinfeld's comedians in cars getting coffee with comedians. You also have, um, as much as Burt Kreischer is kind of one of those guys that I think of that kind of fits in that, that same world, he has that, the cabin, which is awesome, which is different than his stand-up, but also makes the stand-up better. Um, Patton Oswalt does stuff. You have, um, you know, you have some really great comedy in there. And I think what they're really doing is trying to create a place where that there's everything. If you want to go watch old Eddie Murphy uh, standup, which I highly recommend with the understanding that those are old views from the eighties and uh, you know, he's evolved and comedy's evolved since then. I recommend it because you can see where it goes. You can get a look at old Richard Pryor stuff. You can get into Joan Rivers. They have, a ton of comedy and I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with how they've done it and positioned it because you, it's so much easier to find and it's such good stuff and it and they have done a good job of combining like these classic old comedians and these big projects with some of the smaller stuff with smaller comedians you know um and uh yeah very happy with that miss pat's got a stand-up special on there that's very funny yeah yeah i think that also you mentioned that there are quite a bit of kind of catalog specials from, from mm-hmm. older specials from comedians. And I think that those are probably really interesting in that they're kind of a, just a time capsule of, of mm-hmm. what it was like when they were recorded, which is kind of what standup is in a way. Yeah. yeah well, that's, that's the funny thing about standup. It's um, you know, standup is always, you know, kind of originally built as a place to go out and do this thing and it didn't really get restored. And then, but it's how everybody discovered it was on records. People, you know, back in the day, they'd find Lenny Bruce albums and then they'd find, you know, Richard Pryor albums. And that's how, you know, in even I, I remember our school, everybody listened to Adam Sandler records, um, which is gross to think about. But people really, really loved some of that old stand up. Um, but it, 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 it's a great it's a really great catalog of, of opinions and dissenting opinions of the day. Sometimes you look at an old, you know, Dennis Leary everything he says is pretty normal considering now, but like, you know, you have these controversial opinions about war and about, uh, about getting along and unity and, and diversity that were only really being spoken about in comedy in a way that was considered controversial. Now you go back to those in there, though those opinions are kind of accepted norms and you find some other stuff that's really old fashioned and you go to the new stuff and you find that there's progressivism in comedy. You know, there, there is a really interesting part of comedy where sometimes not everybody says the right thing, but they're on the right side of it and they just have to get there and they have to, they just are just not there yet. So you have to look at this stuff as that, as evolution, as people's thinking changing, as, as the society's kind of, attitudes are changing. And these guys were pushing the envelope then. 
Yeah. And, and I, women I, too. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think about, it's been interesting kind of the rise of podcasts because so many comedians have podcasts, right? I, but but that's been really interesting to me as someone who wasn't necessarily a huge stand-up person to listen to more podcasts and learn more about the process and how mm-hmm. stand-up shows are, are a work in progress and kind of even when they get on, on tape or whatever, it's still kind of evolving constantly. So it's, it's really capturing a moment in time, but there's so much that goes into it. And, you know, the first iteration and the taped iteration aren't even what the, the performer's going to do at the club this weekend. Oh, totally. And you can see that. And it's so fun when you get to watch that kind of stuff happen. Um, you know, watch the evolution of it on, from the show. But also, you, you know, when you talk about podcasts, somebody like Nikki Glaser, for example, I loved her. I've always loved her comedy, but being able to listen to her podcast and laugh with her and actually understand her a little bit better and understand the person behind that. And then being able to watch. So kind of, I think it it really makes these things better. You know, it's great to have somebody like her or Whitney Cummings, uh, Eliza Schlesinger, just a few of the people that I've listened to their podcast and you get to know them a little bit better and then their comedy becomes funnier. And then you, you, you kind of see these different opinions and how they're kind of portrayed out there and you recognize what's, you know, what's supposed to be sarcastic and all that stuff. It's, it's really great. Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned was, um, you know, they're not necessarily like all hour long specials available on Netflix. Mm -hmm. There are so many different kinds of things. And one of the things, one of the shows that I've really enjoyed in the past couple of years was um, Comedians of the World, which is just like Mm -hmm. short 10, 15 minute sets from um, comedians in all around the world, like the name, hey. Uh, but I, I thought that was really fascinating. I discovered so many people that I thought were f- so funny that I hadn't heard of before. How funny was that? I mean, um, I was at the the Just for Laughs comedy um, festival when they were recording those. Um, and so I listened to a couple of them in French that um, where there was no English being said. Um, and it's so fun. You can actually, even if you don't understand what they're saying, listening to the cadence, listening to the audience, you know, when they're supposed to laugh. Um, it was really, those were really fun ones. Um, some other good ones that were just kind of shorter ones, the degenerates, I thought they did a really good job with finding some really interesting people from the, for that. Um, uh, like I said, the, the, the cabin stuff that's not ca- comedy, but it's really just stand up has been really good. Um, you know, obviously Dave Letterman's a master. There's there, but there are a lot of really funny things. They even have tried some stuff. They did the historical roast, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, but yeah, the 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 stand up over there is great. And um, like I said, you know, and I, I want to give one more shout out because I think it's still some of the best stuff that's come out in a while. The Dave Chappelle pieces, especially around um, the Black Lives Matter and uh, the the protests during June, were maybe not funny, but probably some of the most insightful pieces and honest pieces of content coming out at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's the thing that a lot of people learned about comedy with, um, uh, with Nanette. And, oh, yeah. and it, it, it's not necessarily punchlines, right? It's not necessarily jokes. It's commentary on, oh, yeah. on everything. Nanette, yeah. Nanette was so, so good. Um, it was one of those, you know, you get told, oh, you have to see Nanette. If you had not seen Nanette yet, what? You haven't seen Nanette? And it was one of those ones where I was like, fuck you. I'm not going to watch Nanette. Apologies. Um, but then I watched and I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is, this is brilliant. This is such a great story. And, 
yeah, maybe I wouldn't assume this is traditional stand-up, but it's so good and so funny. And she brought it all back all the all these times. You know, it was so good. And have you watched Douglas? I haven't watched that one yet. No. Watch Douglas. Douglas is is great. It's definitely not Nanette, and that's the whole thing. And that's it's very meta in that way because she's like what am I going to do after I just did all this big stuff? But she does a great job of kind of extending that story and her kind of opinions into a, uh, and kind of life story into a great second portion. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I love it. So basically what we've learned is that there is a, a ton of comedy available <laughs> on Netflix ton. in so many different iterations that yeah. you can probably find one for you, you if, if you're new to it, if you are yeah. a, a comedy fan, you probably yeah. watch a lot of them already. <laughs> That's but right. There's more. But there's more. And I, I recommend getting out there and watching the new Taylor, the, the Taylor Tomlinson one. Um, the, uh, John Mulaney is so funny. If you like John Mulaney on Saturday Night Live, you should have watched his stand up already. He also did a great little show called The Sack Lunch Bunch, which is really fucking funny. Um, it's with a bunch of kids. And it, it's like a like an episode of the uh, like Electric Company or, uh, or Sesame Street. Very very good. Uh, the Chappelle stuff I can't recommend enough. Uh, I love Nikki Glaser. She did a really great job. There's there's some like a, a Hannah Gatsby. Do not miss. Do not sleep on Hannah Gatsby. Watch it. Watch it first. Uh, really, just let it sink in because it's it's a beautiful piece that that you can walk away from feeling really good. Uh, and 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 happy about there it, there there's plenty out there if you like trevor noah you got a trevor noah you know if you like if you and um also go back and watch watch richard Pryor. watch how things have evolved since him and you'll you'll find a lot of funny jokes you'll find a lot of weird stereotypes but just remember that that's where it started and understand how that kind of all progressed it's uh it's it's truly a, a stand-ups kind of library for for whatever Amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting with us today, Jason. It's been oh, great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So great. Thank you. And that is it. New episodes of Must Watch Netflix Edition post every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next week. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>